bandwidth for the changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. This episode of the changelog is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. Everything we do here at changelog is hosted on Linode servers. Earlier this year, they made some big announcements. They've expanded their offering to include high memory instances in $5 Linodes. High memory instances are optimized for memory intensive workloads like high performance databases, in-memory caching, rendering and data processing, and the new one gigabyte Linode is their lowest priced instance ever, just $5 a month. This makes it way easier to choose Linode every time you spin up a new server. Linode also increased the outbound network speed limit on all plans to a minimum of 1000 megabits, super fast. Check out linode.com slash changelog to learn more and get $20 in hosting credit. Hello and welcome to The Changelog, a podcast that gets to the heart of open source technologies and the people who create them. Myself, Adam Stachowiak, and my co-host Jared Santo are talking to Matt Billman and Chris Bach about Jamstack a new way of building websites and apps that deliver better performance, high security, lower cost of scaling, and a better developer experience. We talked about the redesign of Smashing Magazine on Jamstack, Netlify CMS, and open source CMS built with Jamstack principles designed around a fully Git workflow and the ways in which open source drives standards. And we're back, we're talking about the modern web Jamstack. Now, Jared, I just, I literally just learned about Jamstack from you in the pre-call because I hadn't even heard about this. This is so new. It's that new. Well, I just learned about it about a month ago, um, which was kind of the kickoff for this show when there is a post published called Smashing Magazine just got 10 times faster. (laughs) And uh, we're going to dive into that. We're going to talk about Jamstack. We're going to talk about CMSs, CDNs, Netlify. All sorts of fun stuff. But first, let's welcome our guests, Matt and Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So I suppose I should set the stage a little bit since uh, I I arranged this call. And I'm I'm very excited to talk to you guys about this. Um, But we have a lot of moving parts to this conversation. There's a lot of actors. So you're going to hear Jamstack, which is kind of like uh, Lampstack or Meanstack. Only I look at it as up a layer, whereas those are referring to specific technologies like you know, Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP, the old LAMP stack. Jamstack is up a layer. It's not speaking to specific implementations of technologies, but it's more of the idea of uh, JavaScript APIs and markup is what it stands for. And the, the general idea is ship static pages and decorate them and uh, build on top of them with JavaScript and third, or maybe first party, maybe third party APIs. We'll get into that. So there's Jamstack. Um, there's also Netlify CMS which is an open source project, it's a CMS, which comes from Netlify, the business, the group. That's where Chris and Matt are from, co-founders. Um, and we're also going to be discussing Smashing Magazine and the recent redesign, March 2017. Uh, they relaunched, it's in beta right now, you can check it out at next.smashingmagazine.com. Brand new design, brand new technology stack, off WordPress, and really a bunch of other tools, and onto a custom thing built in Jamstack style. Guys, is that a good foundation or did I mess anything up there? I think that was pretty pretty spot on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, the Netlify open source CMS is a, it's a Git-based attempt at, um, at breaching the gap and, and 
this is the Jamstack is really all about enabling the decoupled right. way of, of, of approaching things, the journey away from monolithic apps. So yeah, I think you nailed it pretty good. Cool. So we're going to focus this conversation on Jamstack. And the cool thing is, is, is as Netlify and the team that rebuilt Smashing Magazine kind of from the ground up built it, they open sourced a bunch of goodies. So not just Net, Netlify yeah. CMS, but also GoTel, GoTrue, GoCommerce, these, these uh, microservices written in Go that kind of that are powering the new Smashing Magazine and really enabling for this style of application. So um, we want to focus on those things. I think we'll probably use the case study of the Smashing Magazine relaunch uh, as a anchor or as a pin for the conversation, but we really want to focus on the open source and really the ideas, uh, if possible. So let's start with Jamstack because Adam just heard about it today. I just heard about it a month ago, probably our listeners for the first time, but we've all been kind of doing things like this for a while. Uh, tell us about the term and uh, did you guys coin it and where did it come from? It was actually like the, the I think the first guy that said the word was a friend of mine, Andreas Stepjonsen, who works at Uber. And and it sort of came around because as you mentioned, like this is not it's not really something new, right? It's something that people have been doing in different ways, like starting to really decouple the, the front end and the back end. We've seen like a huge growth in the space of static site generators and build tools. Uh, there's the huge growth in, in just general front-end build tools like Gulp and Grunt and Webpack. There's the whole tendency around progressive web apps and so on. So it wasn't so much that the Jamstack was like we invented something and, and started doing something completely different. It was more a question of all these people starting to essentially build websites and web apps with a new architecture without really having a good nomenclature around it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, because of what we're doing at Netlify, we had contact with a ton of people in the space and everybody were were sort of suffering from not having a way to, to talk about what they were doing and not really having a category to refer to. And that's when that term started to emerge of saying like everything we're doing is centered around like shipping markup to the browser and then using JavaScript as the runtime and talking to all these different APIs, whether they are self-hosted APIs and microservices or fully managed services. It's like, that's the core architecture and seeing that people are really starting to build with, with a set of constraints. That means you, you start saying we will decouple the front end and the back end completely and rely on pre-building as much as we can in markup and serving that uh, directly. Mm -hmm. uh, but then using JavaScript uh, in the browser as the main runtime and, and talking to these different very encapsulated services. And and that's sort of when the term came about and, and started to be a, a useful nomenclature to talk about this category and this architecture. So as I was saying in the intro, the, the Jamstack does not dictate technology choices in terms of how you go about it. So the J stands for JavaScript. Of course, that's a technology. So yeah. uh, it does, but it's not at the level of uh, a framework or a toolkit. No. Correct? Exactly. It's very true when you said that the stack has sort of moved up a level. Right? Mm -hmm. I feel that it's really about this journey away from the monolithic uh, workflow, right? Where you have these apps where you have to run everything at a time. And we're seeing that they became more and more bloated, less and less performant, uh, have more and more security issues. Malware is becoming a $100 billion industry. 
7% of all sites are hacked. Uh, at Netlify, we get 60 million requests every month alone, starting with WP admin, that are just malware saying that if you happen to have a WordPress site installed, we'd love to infect it. And, and the negligence test that used to be like six months of having a default Drupal site or a WordPress site or anything like that, that, you know, have, you know, it's, it's a normal site with a few custom plugins and, uh, and a site and, and, and you leave it alone for as long as it takes to where till there's like a 50% chance of this being something bad happening to it. And today people are talking about that can be as little as, as two weeks, right? Yeah. Basically, if you don't update PHP and SQL and Apache and this uh, and the site itself and, and the custom plugins, things can, can go already really fast, right? So, so we see this way of building this way of decoupling things where you build things in advance is a solution in so many ways. It's way faster, right? Because first of all, you can have multiple points of origin. Instead of having one server that runs everything, you can distribute the site itself on a content delivery network. That means on edge nodes all around the world. Uh, and you don't have to build it on the fly, which makes time to first bite and, and stuff like that so much faster, you know? Yeah. And um, at the same time, it reduces the surface area attack from malware tremendously because you're not running this huge, very popular uh, monolithic app every time you have a visitor. Rather, you connect. You have all the runtime in the browser, and it connects to these specialized APIs that have a much, much less uh, smaller surface area, right? And and lastly, scalability. Now, when you don't have to 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 build it on the fly, it means that you can guard yourself against peak traffic in a completely different manner. I mean, it, like when we started out, we were looking at hack and use and every single day there seems to be okay. some like young startup that finally gets the break and they're there and then, ah, you know, it, it leads to to uh, to broken sites because they simply uh, cave under under the traffic, right? right. And, and this way of removing the building and the hosting and decoupling the front end and the back end really en- enables a lot of things. And, and, and number two, we also feel that the legacy web is rendered on the fly, whereas the very popular web building right now is dominated by Git. Now, Git is social coding, Git is a lot of things, but Git is also essentially working about structured layers of data, consistent layers of data. So something that runs on the fly and something that works with version control layers, snapshots of, of data, is not inherently very compatible. So for us, it's also about building out best practices and workflows that support the modern way of building, which is Git, which is yeah. advanced markup and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And then we saw this like this trend of like five years ago, frontenders, they were cutting out PSDs. I know it's, it's, it's putting it up a little bit square, perhaps a little <laughs> in a course, right? But still, it was, it was, I, I worked with a lot of frontenders that were cutting out stuff in PSDs, converting it into HTML, and then sending it off for, application, uh, for implementation. Mm-hmm. And today... It's really like, you know, you have friendliness that are not friendliness anymore. They're web developers. We should think about that nomenclature as well because they're doing sure. advanced markup. They're compiling. You know, the Jamstack is all about enabling them to close the loop without having to send something for implementation into a monolithic app with all with everything that, that comes there, right? So it's sort of a broad mission. And then we just felt like talking about static sites made very little sense because first of all it's not static at all it's just that the dynamic part has moved up the level yeah. so now it's, it's, it's going on by, by runtime and, and on client sites right sure and it, it wasn't very fair and then of course there's also like a negative connotation with a term like static that didn't do this movement justice at all 
Mm. And and when people were calling us and saying, okay, so let us explain our stack. And then they spend like 10 minutes describing what really is the jam stack, right? Which is this modern right. way of Git-centric way of working on one side and then using API microservices on the other side. Mm. And uh, and they were looking to get you know viable workflows as far as publishing and use of CDN and all those things goes. So for us, that's just the jam stack, right? And um, it's not proprietary in any way whatsoever. It's just right. a it's a little bit easier way of, of talking about things. And, and it really is about, you know, trying to introduce some best practices. Yeah, I like that. Get everybody speaking the same language. Exactly. Yeah, I always remember Thomas Reynolds from Instrument, who is a, a technical director there and, and built the middleman. That's one of the static site generators that we've seen some, some really cool projects built with. But just with the term static, I, I remember him telling me that they had just, Ad instrument build a major project based on on middleman, and he was mm-hmm. like, "This is a, a project with two hundred thousand lines of code in Ruby. It, it makes no sense to talk about it as like a static website, right? Right. It, it it had like a whole layer of publishing static JSON as an API that could be consumed by JavaScript client side and so on, right? Super complex project. And again, it, it was just like a sign of like how badly needed." the new nomenclature were at the time. Yeah, we had a sh- we actually did a show on Middleman a while back, maybe two episodes, I don't recall, but uh, we had that conversation with him as well. Very interesting. I'm also a little bit of a kind of a new media, you know, new, new age journalism, uh, not aficionado, but this thing's fascinating me. So I, I enjoy hearing the stories of how like new publishers, especially indie publishers, which Changelog is, um, goes about, you know, uh, publishing today so that was interesting to see like what vox media had done with middleman and stuff like that it, it, right. we should probably point out uh because i said there's the cms there's also netlify the business yeah and it's worth m- noting that you know all while all these technologies and ideas are not proprietary very much you guys have skin in the game uh, of people doing this oh, yeah. style of application can you oh, tell yeah. us about netlify it and what it is netlify is a, is a broad automation platform so really it's, it's an attempt at a custom infrastructure which is a CDN that's built out virtually on top of a bunch of different providers and provides instant cache validation, high cache ability, and atomic deploys. Enables a lot of the logic that used to be on the server side, but brought straight to the edge nodes. And because we have that, then we're able to build out a bunch of features on top of it and then wrap it all up in automation. And what's really the idea is that, that developers have a place where they, in a few minutes, can get all the best practices, custom domain, HTTPS, uh, continuous integration into Git, and uh, a post-process site that's globally distributed. And then we scale, of course, uh, that for businesses that it also wants to get all the performance benefits and the security benefits and so on and so forth But from the Jamstack, right? And that's Netlify as a business. But what we strongly believe is that that everyone is better off by not rendering on the fly, by not using these monolithic apps. So, so for us, it's very, very much about pushing the category forward and that's why mm-hmm. we're so engaged in open source and that's why we also did the, as we i'm not sure we'll get back to the the, the whole smashing project yeah. which was all about saying we'll invest heavily in building out these microservices as long as you guys agree that that we get to open source it with everyone else yeah uh, because we do believe that that's how standards are pushed right absolutely absolutely well i I think what we'll do is I want to hear a little bit of the story of of the smashing rebuild. Yeah, um, we're we're coming out five minutes before our first break. So if one of you can give us the quick summary of what happened, the eighteen months, the things that had to be developed, if you could do that in five minutes, that'd be great. On the other side of the break, I do have some pushback on specific points. Yeah, because yeah. I 
I believe that, and you guys are all in on this, it makes total sense that you're very bullish on it. In engineering, there are trade-offs and there are many situations uh, where the Jamstack doesn't necessarily fit very well. And uh, I think we should talk through some of those. I think it'd be fun Absolutely. Um, to go through a few few of the finer points with you and uh, have, have a conversation. So who wants to try and just give us the background of where Smashing was, why Jamstack was selected, and how it was built, and that whole thing? I think Matt can do that because it really started with an article, an appearance at a conference, and then the whole thing went from there. Okay. Yeah, I tried to give it like a quick version of the story, right? So I I got asked to write an article about static site generators back in November last year. 2015, actually. 2015, yeah. I wrote an article called uh, Why Static Site Generators are the, are the Next Big Thing. And when I passed Smashing Magazine the first draft, of course, one of the points was about like how performance can be a lot better with this approach. So Vitaly from Smashing immediately pushed back and say like, that's fine, but but you need to also really compare static site generator build site with a highly optimized WordPress site that uses like all the caching plugins and so on. So what I did was that I, I took Smashing Magazine itself that very much fit that bill, did as a static scrape of it and, and put it on Netlify and then just ran a, a, a common speed test against it and and showed that it would be six times faster on average if it could live directly on a content delivery network, right? Mm-hmm. And I put that back in the article and I must admit, I, I kind of expected Vitaly to be like, ah, yeah, we're not going to publish that, right? It makes us look bad or something. But he was totally game and just put a check mark on it and, and published the article. And then that article became the article in, in all of 2015 on Smashing Magazine that got the most engagement. And uh, based on that, they asked me to give a talk uh, about this new stack at Smashing Conference in San Francisco in April last year. And I gave my talk there essentially about the GM stack. And after that, the founders of Smashing came over and said, like, so we saw these numbers, right? And we've been looking at this. What would it take if we wanted to put all of Smashing Magazine on, on Netlify? What would it actually require? So we sat down and really started looking at like what would it actually take? Uh, and one thing we could see was that at the time, their system consisted of like Smashing Magazine is not just uh, articles, right? They have a shop where they sell ebooks and printed books. They have their event pages. Uh, they need to sell tickets. They have a job board. And at the time, they, they had like WordPress for the main magazine, an old Rails app for the job board, Shopify for the shop, uh, Kirby for the event pages. And then they wanted to, to introduce their new uh, membership feature and had no idea where in the system that would live. And they already were struggling with having to maintain the same themes across five different platforms, essentially, and keeping all of those in sync. But what we could see was that in the space of the Jamstack, there were still some holes in the ecosystem. There were no good open source solutions for all of Smashing Magazine's needs. And based on our experience, we could see that, that what they needed at the time was not super unique or anything. It was just something that wasn't there in the ecosystem uh, at the point. So as Chris said, we basically told them, okay, we are going to make a huge exception for, from, from how we normally work, where we just give people a platform and, and, and they build. And we're going to take a role in this and, and really help you build this project. But we are going to make everything 
small reusable APIs that we can make open source and that we can just contribute to the general ecosystem because we really believe that there's a need for that in this Jamstack space. We already had the initial version of Netlify CMS, but but needed to take it to another scale to handle the amount of content and, and contributors that Smashing Magazine has. And then we build out like GoTrue, that's the layer that handles authentication for Smashing Magazine. We build out GoCommerce, which is a completely headless e-commerce API. Uh, we build out GoJoin for managing subscriptions for their membership features and uh, GoTel as a common engine and made all of these open source and helped them get the new Smashing magazine uh, to become a reality. <laughs> Matt, perhaps you can also just go into it because the e-commerce is not like we built out Shopify in any way, right? No, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting with this stack is that if, if you were to build in the old stack, and e-commerce, right? Then you need to build all of it, right? You need to build uh, the product catalog, management, and all these things. You need to build all the, the UI for rendering the HTML pages and so on, right? But GoCommerce is, is a very simple API that almost condenses down to two API calls, once to create an order and once to pay for the order. It doesn't have any user management because that's ha handled by another API and just sent back and forth in the form of JSON web tokens, completely stateless. It doesn't have any product management because that's just handled by the website itself. So when you trigger an order with GoCommerce, you just tell them the path of the product on your website and GoCommerce will look up those products and get the metadata from that and calculate the price of the order and so on. So. Because of these architectural constraints, like the, there's no product management, that's just managed by Netlify CMS as part of managing the general website. And because of that, it, it was viable to build these tools. Like if this had been a traditional stack, this would have ended up being a completely custom, big monolithic app that wouldn't really be reusable for, for other people. Mm. But because of this decoupling between the front end and, and these different small services, it was possible for us to condense all the functionality that Smashing Magazine needed into a set of small, simple APIs that only does one job, but hopefully does it well and can be reused by anybody else using, like needing several uh, of these functionalities. Mm. Let's pause real quick here because I want to pick back up on that specific point. I have questions about the GoCommerce aspect of it. Cool. Um, but we're hitting our break. So let's let's take that up on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. This episode of The Changelog is brought to you by TopTal, a global network of top freelance software developers, designers, and finance experts. If you're looking for contract or freelance opportunities, apply to join TopTal to work with top clients like Airbnb, Artsy, Zendesk, and more. When you join TopTal, you'll be part of a global community of developers who have the freedom and flexibility to live where they want, travel, attend TopTal events all over the world, and more. And on the flip side, if you're looking to hire developers, designers, or finance experts, TopTal makes it super easy to find qualified talent to join your team. Head to TopTal.com, that's T-O-P-T-A-L.com, and tell them Adam from the Change Log sent you. All right, we are back and we are talking about the Jamstack, specifically uh, the Jamstack implemented on behalf of Smashing Magazine and all the cool open source that came out of that. A couple of questions referring back to the other side of the break. 
there, Matt, when you were talking about GoCommerce and the e-commerce side of Smashing Magazine, is you said that there was no product management. I'm not sure I followed that because, well, let me tell me if I did, because the actual product descriptions and imagery and all the things that you would need for product management are stored in Netlify CMS. So then the GoCommerce just reads that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically all that GoCommerce expects when you create a new order is that you send it a list of line items and each mm-hmm. line item has a path. And then in the settings for GoCommerce, it, it has the main URL of your website. So what GoCommerce will, will do is that it will look up each of those paths on your website and then it will look for a, a special uh, script tag with some JSON inside it that mm-hmm. is, is the metadata for the product. And that's sort of the, the source of truth for the product. So even if all of the checkout and so on is, is handled client-side with JavaScript, you can't fiddle with the prices and so on because GoCommerce sure. will look at that metadata and, and verify the prices. But it means that GoCommerce doesn't need to have a product database or things like that. That if you build that this with a typical e-commerce system, you would need all these products to live in the database of the e-commerce system and so on. Mm-hmm. What about inventory, coupons, uh, tax rates? Yeah, so all of the tax rates and uh, so on, they are defined in a settings file again on the website and. Mm-hmm. The GoCommerce will load that settings file and then do all the tax calculations based based on that. Um, the coupons are even stored on the websites as well. Of course, you need to make sure you set some form of authentication for those so people can't just go in and read what coupons you have. But the idea is that you just give a URL with authentication where, where your coupons are, are stored. And then GoCommerce will just read that and they're just defined in JSON and just will define some rules. and GoCommerce will verify all of that. We don't have inventory yet for, for GoCommerce, but we also have some plans for, for that. Yeah. So you, back to the coupons, you put your coupons at some sort of endpoint that's accessible mm-hmm. via the web, but is yeah. protected somehow yeah. via some sort of authentication scheme? Are you just talking about basic authentication? Or? Typically just HTTPS plus basic auth. Right. And so so your GoCommerce microservice has that authentication but you know the the front end doesn't and so it can make that call nobody else can precisely okay and no inventory yet so i I think that of course with for smashing magazine all of this is managed in in netlify cms but again there's no coupling here right like gocommerce doesn't know that netlify cms exists right Uh, and you could even like you could even use GoCommerce with a traditional Rails application or something like that. It 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 wouldn't care. You could also use it together with with inventory managed in Contentful or if you buy businesses, you have a CRM where all your products are stored or whatever, and or, or a big inventory system or whatever. You can right. generate the website from that, and then hook up GoCommerce, right? So so GoCommerce is completely decoupled from the other parts of the system. Right. So how do you manage the, I'm, I'm just stuck on the security there. So you have some sort of endpoint that's just password protected somewhere. How do you manage the credentials for that? Because isn't the whole point is you can ship it off to a CDN and not even think about it anymore. But now you have to, now you have to password protect a certain portion of your website. 
Um, well, depends a bit on your CDN, how easy that is. Um, one option, if, if your CDN can't do it, you could put that specific file somewhere else. In the case of Netlify, we make it really easy to define basic OS for a specific path. Right? So, okay. so, so in the case of smashing, it's, it's sort of trivial to just say this path is, requires authentication. If your CDN doesn't support that, you will need to put that file somewhere where you can require authentication. Right. So it gets more complicated unless your CDN has specific features now. Or you can potentially just put that file under a long hashed URL that's not exposed anywhere, right? You just hide it? Yeah, essentially. I mean, in the end, if you use a very long, like with enough cryptographic complexity that, that no one will ever be able to guess it, if you use that in a URL and, and it's not linked to anywhere and not exposed in any sitemaps or anything, All right. then that will work as well. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, perhaps if you're selling t-shirts and stuff, but uh, it depends on, I guess, the, it's just risk versus reward, I guess. Uh, I'd certainly put that in, in one password too, so I don't know about that. I'd, I'd, I'd definitely need a link somewhere, so it might actually get clicked from some point and exposed. Yeah, you would, you would try to. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like that's a slippery slope. Yeah. And for a bigger setup, like, I would absolutely recommend using, using basic off. Yeah. And, yeah. and of course, HTTPS. <laughs> Right. So uh, moving a little bit aside from that, one thing that's struck me with specific, and we'll move off of smashing here in a minute and talk more about the CMS because we'd like to. But one thing that struck me is, Chris, you said that like building monoliths is a problem and like these big systems that all have everything in them and dynamic rendered. And with this system, now you have microservices. But wasn't Smashing Magazine already? I mean, one of their problems was they had too many little things, right? They had a Ruby-based shop. They had a WordPress-based blog. They had a Magento and then later a Shopify-based. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did didn't have a monolith, right? And that's part of the problem with the monolith that you can't really mix and match them, right? So if you're in Shopify and Shopify can't drive your magazine because it's not really a publishing platform, mm -hmm. then, then you can't really just use Shopify, right? And if you're in WordPress and the e-commerce features there are not really up to up to par with what you want. You can't really use WordPress for the whole thing, or you have to go with using WordPress for everything, and then you're sort of stuck in that world. Uh -huh. um, their problem was not so much that they had different services involved, but that it's with the monolithic approach, you can't really mix and match those services. Whereas with the Jamstack approach, they can just build one front end that talks to all these different services, right? But but all of the design layer and theming layer and all of that is in one place. Mm. So I thought you're saying they basically had four monoliths. Yeah. And it's better, because I mean, your code has to live somewhere, right? So uh, this is like move your monolith to the front end, like microservices on the back end, decouple those, yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then couple it on the front end where it makes the most sense because that's where your styles and that's where your layouts and that's where all the things need to be shared. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole point, again, is, is getting away from having to build everything every time someone visits, right? And of course, you can optimize against that to some degree by putting stuff in front of it. Mm -hmm. But at the very end of that, you still have your HTML, you still have your time to first byte, you still have the basics that are running on your own server somewhere. Right? Yeah. And right. that's what we want to gate. And 
And uh, we're working, uh, I guess we'll get back to it, to it as well, but Sarah Sweden was talking a lot about, uh, she was the front-end developer for Smashing Magazine. Uh-huh. And she talked a lot about how that workflow, how like anything you, you push to a patent library is instantly live, like the style guides are actually working, right? So because she wasn't sending anything off, what she was implementing was the site itself. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm, I'm sure we can, we can talk a little bit about the Smashing Magazine case later. Right. Let's talk about the, what came out of it. So we've talked a little bit about GoCommerce, a very simple yeah. microservice for, for transacting. Yeah. Uh, there's GoTel. So because they had comments, uh, yeah. there's GoTel. One you guys of, had one of a lot of things. Uh, GoTrue for auth, as well as Netlify CMS. One one point that I would just make around this idea of Jamstack is it's not that you're removing complexity. You're just pushing it into other places. And lots of times that complexity goes into other people's pockets, so to speak. Um, so you're using services and whether they're services that you write or third-party services which is the case for like algolia which is being used for search or mm-hmm. many people mm-hmm. use discuss as if that's how you mm-hmm. say it or discus yeah. for comments yeah. um what's yeah. what's often missing is like those which which, which is very easy on dynamically rendered sites becomes very difficult all of a sudden and now there's not solutions out there. So one of the things I'm excited about is how many things you guys had to build to accomplish this. Because <laughs> yeah. now actually there is an e-commerce thing we can use and there is an authentication <laughs> and there is a comments thing we can use if it fits our yeah. use case. Um, as opposed to having to rely on somebody else's service, which could go away, could charge lots yeah. of money. Uh, thoughts on that? Now, we obviously thought it was really important to start helping out building a, a solid open source ecosystem. Because as you mentioned, like, We've seen over the last five years this really powerful service-based ecosystem emerge that, that wasn't really there five years ago, right? Yeah. Where, where you have tools like Discuss and Algolia and, and so on. And we just, when you look at sort of the traditional web space and you look at, for example, the CMS layer, right? It's what Chris was mentioning. At, for the Jamstack, there's some great solutions already in the terms of content full, data CMS, forestry, and so on. But they are all proprietary. Right. And when you look at the traditional CMS space for dynamic sites and so on, and from the legacy stack, then you'll see that there's a bunch of businesses that are really, really good businesses like Squarespace, Wix, Weebly, Site Builder End, and Kentigo, and all of these site core proprietary CMSs in the CMS end of things. But even when you combine all of those together and you then look at the statistics for what tools are most websites built with, combined, all of those goes into this little brace liver called other, right? And mm. even Joomla, like good old Joomla is bigger than all of those combined in terms of, of, of actual share, right? And then you what? have like Drupal and you have WordPress, which is just in a completely different league, right? Sure. So what we're seeing is that open source drives standards. And for these really strong standards to, to emerge, we have to have a really healthy open ecosystem. Mm. And, and, and that, was, that was one of the major reasons that we said yes to Smashing to make this huge investment in building out all of these services and so on, because we really thought that when we started this project, so many of these services were either just available in, in proprietary form, or they were available inside specific agencies that have built their own stack and so on, and that might have open source some of the tools, but that were 
all the main knowledge of how do you build a big project in this way was was tied inside proprietary repositories and so on. And we saw an opportunity for really contributing. I, I think there's also part of the story is that at Max background, he was the CTO of the largest agency in Spain that made more than 100 websites a week, so on a very large scale. And I, mm. I came from, a, from an agency background as well. And what we saw was that the APIs, they can obviously, they can be anything and everything, right? So, so all these microservices uh, can be job boards and can be, you know, it can really be, be, be so many things. But, but there are some things that are more, much more standard than others. Content management, comments, subscription, commerce, uh, mm-hmm. and, and of course, authentication and uh, form, form handling. Uh, those are sort of the ones that we just see again and again and again and again. So it made sense for us to say, okay, we're going to put some effort in into contributing something to this space as far as open source APIs goes, those should be it. Like, so you have like a basic toolkit that you can run with and right. of course do anything you want with it. And, and, and the whole point here is staying agnostic, saying you can use two of them and then do your own thing for the rest or whatever. Like, like, like things should really, that's the, that's a beautiful thing of decoupling the front end and the back end is that, that you get to mix and match. Right. Um, right. And since you don't have to run the code together, it's not like you, if you chose a traditional legacy system, you choose, for example, PHP. And that's just the end of it. Like when I was in agencies, I often had, you know, there was a CMO or someone that said, okay, we want to use the EG WordPress because that's what we're used to updating. And that's a fine, and you know, there's a lot of good reasons for choosing it uh, besides that as well. But the point is just that no matter what, I had to go back to 10 developers and saying, okay, now we're coding in PHP because, you know, that's just the name of it, right? Whereas now you can say, well, let's, Look at the resources we have and what's interesting to us and what will bring joy, right? Should it be made in React or uh, Go or .NET or PHP or whatever, right? Uh, because the build tools now are, are executed differently and we don't have to run them anymore together right. with the site. So you can have both, right? So, so I think the darling for us here was really the content management because where there are some fantastic, as I mentioned earlier, some, some fantastic services out there, they're all proprietary. If they are open source, they're sort of more with a smaller scope. And then most of them are API-based. And for us, uh, all of this is about, I think, enhancing that Git workflow. And so everything we do, whether it's open source or if it's part of the business, we, we always measure ourselves with how does that play into the Git workflow for developer. And I think that the CMS, Matt was, was the one who sold the opportunity of saying, okay, what if we did a Git-based CMS? What if this was actually just like a single-page app that was built all agnostic, would work with any site generator, but then just work with consistent layers of data in Git? Because then it's a one-to-one, right? It's not something you make work with Git, but it's just part of that workflow. And then if mm-hmm. you, on the other side can get a, a local dynamic real-time preview of everything you do so it feels complete, you feel completely at ease. But every time that you click Save, you're actually running a branch uh, deploy preview. And every time you say, okay, that looks fine, you, uh, you use rich takes editors, it looks completely like anything would uh, for, for a content editor that, that isn't a developer and whatever they're used to from a, from a legacy point of view. And, and, but when they click publish, then it just merges into master behind it, right? So you're, it's, it's like so far you've been, you had to choose, right? Okay, so CMS, obviously we can all agree that's a no-brainer. It's not for developers. The developers would rather just run, write the code, right? The CMS is an extension of the code that really just enables content developer writers, right? And so far, you really have to choose who are you catering to, right? 
And we thought that maybe, just maybe, you can have that where you can get both. We can have a developer workflow that isn't compromised, but still you stay in Git. This is your workflow. This is how you do things. This is how everything plugs in. And this is how you collaborate with everyone else. But you also cater to the, the end users as far as, as content mm-hmm. editors go, right? And I, I think that's, that's the really important thing here. And that's also, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of, of contributors already that are taking this and, and running with it for their own use cases, uh, which was exactly what we were hoping for. That's the key point that I think that Adam and I were missing as we discussed this uh, before the show is um, Netlify CMS that came out of this, you know, the, this Git-based workflow. We were thinking, is this just a CMS for hackers? Because, like, sure, we love a Git-based workflow, but, you know, going back now, thinking how Vox Media and The Verge, you know, made middleman work for them, their their journalists aren't writing in text editors with Git, they use Google Docs because that's what they like to use, and they take the output of that and create static sites. And that's because they don't want to have to teach all of their, you know, their journalists the command line and Git. And so you're saying that exactly. it's Git based, and you can it's all text files under the hood, and you can edit those directly and just commit and push. But it's also providing a nice user experience for authoring, which does doesn't rely on them knowing Git at all. Not at all. They don't have to know what it how it's spelled. <laughs> they don't have to ever have even heard of GitHub. Not at all. Mm. Nice. That's so the tell whole us about point, that. Basically. Yeah, tell us about that. Like, how does it work, and how does it get integrated into? How do you use it and set it up? Yeah. So basically, as Chris mentioned, the the idea of the of the CMS is that it's a single page app in React, and by default, it just talks directly to GitHub's data API. So the way you set it up is that you essentially just have to include two files in your final website. One side is an index HTML that we give you that just bootstraps the like that just loads the React application. And typically you'll put it in a folder called admin as the index file. So when you go to slash admin, it loads the, the CMS. And then the other file is a YAML file, config.yml. Uh, and and that's simply where you configure uh, how is your content structured for this specific project. So the CMS in itself doesn't really it doesn't care what you use your content for or how it's published or what kind of stack site generator you use or if you're even using a stack site generator, right? Like you could use it to manage anything you want to be persisted as structured content in a in a Git repository. And it has a core abstraction called collections. So all content is organized into different collections. And then right now, at at this moment, collections can be persisted in two different ways. One way to persist the collection is that you have a folder with similar entries that all have the same custom fields and so on. So they are all the same content type. And the other way of persisting a collection is that you have different unique files that each have their own content uh, type and and structure. The first kind is like for smashing, for example, it's it's all the articles, it's all the categories, it's all their ebooks, it's all their events and so on. Those are all each of those are a collection of similar files. And then the other kind of things are, for example, the coupons is one specific file with basically a JSON document that that the CMS manages. Uh, the settings uh, is another file. The curation is a file in itself that has like, these are the featured posts, these are 
this week's featured category and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, based on that configuration file, the CMS gives non-technical or people who just don't want to write code a UI that's very similar to what you would expect from any other CMS. You get your collections that you can navigate between. You can go to any of like for, for smashing. You can click on articles. You can see a list on all of the, your articles. You can click on an article. And when you click on an article, you, you, you get a form on the left hand with all the fields for that article. And then on the right, you get a preview running directly in the browser of how will that article look like when you publish it. Similar to if if you've ever used Ghost and you've used their Markdown editor, just instead of being like completely unstructured where you just have a title and a Markdown body, in Netlify CMS, you can have any kind of structure of your data, right? So for smashing, you might have a title and an SEO description and a main image and a summary and then the main post body and so on, right? But as you type, you will see a preview on the right side of how will this actually look like once we hit publish. And then the beauty of the system is that as an editor, you just go in, you maybe create a new article, you write that whole article, and then you hit save. And instead of saving that article in a database like in WordPress, it will create a new pull request in Git, create a new branch with that article, with those changes, uh, and create a pull request. And you have like a Trello-like dashboard where you can see all the pull requests in process, right? But again, completely abstracted away from the Git terminology of pull requests and so on. It's really just like, here's your draft. Here's the one that are ready to review. Here's the ones that are ready to publish. And once you hit publish, the CMS will merge in this pull request. And it just supposes that you have some kind of system that handles rebuilding the site every time that happens. And of course, mm. we think Netlify is as a platform is a pretty awesome solution for that, but but it's not a requirement at all either. So the, I've been kind of silent for most of the show right now, but curious if if I got this right. So all the collaboration still happens in the Netlify CMS admin area, whatever that is, where yeah. that lives. Yeah. Uh, although you could still collaborate on GitHub if that's where it was hosted or uh, Bitbucket or wherever you can host your Git code. So. The idea, though, is for the collaboration to take place inside the CMS, not inside of GitHub or at all. Yeah, but you could if you wanted to. But you still can, right? And that's one of the beauties of it, right? That normally one of the parts have to compromise, right? If you use WordPress, then the developers have to give up on, on a Git-driven workflow and so on. And now all content is just in some binary blob in a database uh, don't get version control or anything like that. And it's a very separate workflow for how the developers work with all of the themes and everything like that, right? And if you just use like a pure, like you just go all out, just use Hugo and GitHub, well, then the content editors have to compromise, right? Like suddenly they have to learn how to interact with Git and understand the concepts of pull requests and so on, right? And this approach is really about giving both of these sites what they want, so the developers just have their normal Git-based workflow. And as a developer, you can still edit the content directly in your text editor if you want and completely ignore the existence of the CMS if you prefer that. But as a content editor, you can, on the other hand, completely ignore the existence of GitHub and mm-hmm. text formats and all of that and just work in the CMS, use a rich text editor, and hit publish. 
Well, let's, uh, we're up against our next break, actually a couple minutes past, but let's break here. And when we come back, we'll kind of talk a bit more about workflow and then maybe throw some hardball questions at you. This episode of The Change Log is brought to you by GoCD, an open source continuous delivery server from our friends at ThoughtWorks. GoCD lets you model complex workflows, promote trusted artifacts, see how your workflow really works, deploy any version, anytime, run and grok your tests, compare builds, take advantage of plugins, and so much more. Check out gocd.io slash changelog to learn more. And now back to the show. All right, we're back with Matt and Chris and, of course, Jared talking through Jamstack, modern mm-hmm. tooling for good different workflows, I would say, Jared, right? I mean, different workflows for producing a site like this, editorial teams. It seems you've taken care of the developer side as well as the non-developer side needing a you know more CMS type of workflow. And that was probably the biggest question I think we had coming into this call was like, how do you do the workflow? Because if it's simply a code-based or a GitHub issues slash pull request workflow, then you sort of ax a ton of potential users and essentially lock out maybe journalists, unless you teach them things that they shouldn't have to learn to produce yeah. good content, right? Absolutely. And so it seems you've, you've solved that. Although I would potentially throw in an argument of maybe it's kind of like lack of focus in a sense, but I'm not sure what term with that but that's the only way i can think of it is that you've got basically two ways you could do it so maybe you have some collaboration in github and maybe you have some collaboration around a article where you essentially have to force people to choose a path right you wouldn't want or maybe you're actually inheriting some of the issues and some of the collaboration happening on a github type place to sort of allow people to choose their own path or use both how does that work in the cms like do you in this uh, dashboard troll like dashboard of you know, the editorial workflow, you see collaboration on GitHub or whatever you're using to host your code. How does that work? We tend to see collaborations in, in both places, but as the CMS matures, we, we see more and more of the collaboration around content move into the CMS layer. And then the collaboration around design and code and, and those changes happening in, in GitHub. It's very powerful, though, that the two are tied together, right? Because often when you make design changes, being able to just always work with the real content and so on is also part of it. And getting the same guarantees for the content that we used to have as developers for our code, that you can always run git blame, right? You can see at any point, like who made any change at any time to any piece of content, how did it look like before? You can always reverse a change. Um, you can always see a snapshot of like, how did your website look like at any specific point in time, for example, right? Um, all of these things are really powerful. Um, we're trying in the CMS to also lean as much as we can without getting too tied to a specific platform on on features like pull requests and so on that are not just Git, but, but are also tied to GitHub or hopefully in the future also GitLab and so on. Like right right now, the CMS backend requires GitHub, uh, but we have a pull request in process to support GitLab as well. Hmm. That's exactly what I was going to ask to clarify is, is it a Git-based backend or a GitHub-based backend? And it sounds like right now it's GitHub, but that's yeah. not the end goal. No, no, we, we want to support broad solution of Git backends. But right now, like, GitHub is still far ahead of the curve in terms of their API for interacting directly with 
commits and trees and things like that. But we are on the one hand working with using the current GitLab APIs to, to let the CMS work with that. And then the guy that made that pull request has also opened an issue on GitLab itself around enabling some more APIs to get the integration even tighter. Yeah. I have to admit, I've, I've always longed for this type of CMS where you could have what we've known for GitHub, being able to have a site that's a static site generator feel where you can actually use the code, write and mark down whatever your workflow is. But then you sort of lost that. CMS approach, which allows you to autocomplete tags and have all these extra fields and features like you're talking about that Smashing needed. And so I've kind of always longed for it. It always seemed like this pipe dream, so to speak, like who's going to build that and will they actually succeed? And it seems like we're talking to the people who may have done it. <laughs> we're working on it at least. <laughs> <laughs> Doing our best, but, but yeah, that was exactly yeah. what we aimed to. to. The things like uh, that, I guess, right, I'm assuming that when the in terms of editorial workflow, when they're writing content, it's written to a markdown file, or is it written to JSON? Is it what is the? Do you have the, control over that? What's that like? Yeah, you can control that. So internally, the CMS has a concept of formats, and you can set the formats either for a collection or for a file. And right now, we support a body with front matter that will typically be like a markdown body, and then front matter in either YAML or JSON or TOML. Mm -hmm. And then apart from that, the CMS right now can also edit JSON files or YAML files or TOML files directly. And it has this concept of a format. So the idea is also like from the beginning when we built the CMS, we thought a lot about making it an extensible system where for a specific project, you can add things to it. So we're planning on exposing that formatting abstractions. So for a specific project, if you had some weird internal format or whatever, you, you could write a little formatter that essentially needs to implement two methods, from file and to file, where from file just takes a string and returns a JavaScript object of structured data. Uh, to file goes the other way, right? Takes a JavaScript object and then outputs the file format you want us to persist in Git. So the CMS from the ground up is built with these abstractions in mind that lets you adapt it to a lot of very different use cases and, and to be very flexible. One thought I'm having here as a developer is I sure hope I can have my content and my code live in separate repositories. You can you can do that if you want to. Because does anybody else not want like just fix a spelling error on article number 47 in your Git history? Like the people who are using the, the CMS side of it. I just feel like there's a lot of commit noise that would come into your Git history. That's true. You, by the default setup, you do get some, some commit noise. But on the other hand, you also get this superpower of being able to see how exactly did your site look like, not just from the theme perspective, but with all the content at any specific point in time. But again, the CMS doesn't care about what you do with the Git repository. So there's also nothing stopping you from creating a separate Git repository for the code and a separate one for the content and then just manage the content one with the CMS. And we've even talked to one guy that's working on using the CMS to edit a repository just with content that then gets exposed as a static content API and then consumed by a Rails application, right? So 
the CMS is really just in its essence a tool for managing persistent structured data in a Git repository with a user-friendly interface for people who don't want to write code. What's the state of this thing? Is it? Uh, I know you'd mentioned that you've kind of broken your own rules, so to speak, as a as a service <laughs> to say, yeah, Smashing Magazine, mm-hmm. Vitaly. Well, I mean, who yeah. says no to Smashing Magazine? By the way, I mean, if you get a chance <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> open source true. some cool stuff and establish yeah. some standards, yeah. as you mentioned, open source create standards. If you get a chance to do that. You kind of have to think twice for sure about like, yeah, we should definitely do this. You know. Yeah, I imagine a lot of this is still sort of proving the concepts, but it sounds like even Smashing Magazine hasn't fully rolled this out yet, so it's at next.smashingmagazine.com. Is this a work in progress? What's the state of this? Can people pick it up now? Where are we at? So we we are starting to have a lot of people picking it up, uh, and uh, we're starting to have even the first uh, external maintainers on the CMS that are not part of Netlify. We've been using it internally for a long time uh, in production. So all of, if you go to netlify.com, you'll see that we have a very active content strategy with lots of blog posts and site of the week and documentation and so on. And that all, like we've been duck fooding the CMS for a long time now and are using it there. Obviously, like this is a work in progress. There's a ton of work going on and there's a ton of improvements coming and there's, 10 open pull requests right now. So it's very much a living project, right? But you can start using it now. And, and for some use cases right now, it will be a really good fit. Hmm. But it's something that we have developers on as well, right? Yeah. So we want to yeah. keep pushing this. And, and yeah. we have dedicated resources just for this yeah. uh, going forward because we, we think that it's, you know, it's worth it, right? And, um, and of course, if no one picked it up and no one wanted to contribute and stuff like that, then we would be, you know, we would have to say we were barking up the wrong tree. But right now, there seems to be a lot of interest for it. I think because of the reasons that we talked about earlier, of accommodating the Git workflow and and still giving the the content editors a, an experience that's not technical and so on. That that you know, this might be might be <laughs> a real real thing, right? So um, mm. at least we're really psyched about it, and we keep going. And it can be picked up, and and of course, you know, anyone that wants to 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 use this and share whatever they do around it, right? I think in general, with the modern front end stack, there's so many. Like, look at static site generators, right? There's so many uh, custom Jekyll installs out there, millions where the people have done so much work around it, but either they're not comfortable or for whatever reason, it's not really open source. So where the basic tooling is open source, the workflows really aren't. So yeah, anyone that picks it up, we always, you know, encourage it, of course, of course, you know, but, but we also really, if they want to share it with the world, then that's even more beautiful. <laughs> and I should also just say that one, some of the things we are working on is just also to make it easier to pick it up, right? For example, yeah, writing the, the configuration YAML file by hand, uh, now we're working on like a, a UI for that and so on, right? We keep pushing to get the initial setup even simpler. Um, and we'll probably also push to get more, like we have one startup theme right now. We'll flesh that out a bit more and we'll launch more themes with the CMS integrated just again to to make it easier to pick up and get started with. Mm-hmm. So right now you, you still, like if you want to use it, um, it's it's ready to use uh, and you can, you can start using it now, but you need to be fairly hands-on. And of course, as we progress, it'll just get easier and easier to get started with it. 
Is there anything that uh, in this conversation that was more Smashing Magazine proprietary kind of stuff that had to be built on top of because, you know, you were obviously building this out? And is there anything that wasn't Netlify itself? Netlify CMS, I should, I should say, actually. The, the only, like, the only parts that are proprietary to Netlify, uh, to, to Smashing, is the actual front-end work specific to, to their design, right? Like, right. obviously, that, that's all specific to them. Uh, then we had to write some scripts specific to the migration around, like, how do we get stuff out of their WordPress database with the set of plugins they are using and so on and into Hugo. And some of that is very specific. But apart from that, I would say that everything that Smashing is using is, is completely open and can be used by other people. That's uh, something worth pointing out, which we haven't stressed much, but we should definitely give a shout out to uh, Hugo, which is a yeah. Go-based XI oh, generator yes. that's super awesome. A uh, friend of the show, Steve, is it Francia, you say his last name, at Google, uh, who's been on GoTime just recently. I would go as far as saying that the Smashing project itself right now would probably not have been viable without Hugo, just because it's pushed the performance of static site generators so far. Mm -hmm. That all, like with all the articles and all the events and pages and ebooks and everything, the Hugo part of the Smashing Magazine build for production build is, is a little more than 10 seconds. Oh. Yeah, it's, it, it really is fast. Uh, what we did was also as part of that, and again, so people could take that experience and start using it themselves. We made a, a boilerplate that's also open source. It's called Victor Hugo, a boilerplate for Epic websites. Uh, but it basically packs in an asset pipeline and web and webpack and so on. So you don't have to install that on the side, but it just works. So it is, of course, Hugo, but with a, with a little bit of extra functionality there. So it's just easier just to get started. And then mm -hmm. we're working on, on templates as well. We have a few templates already. Just, you know, so people can start, you know, with the CMS and Hugo and get something to up and running uh, as, as frictionless as possible. One last question for you guys before we let you go. Just listening yes. to this conversation and, and thinking about Jamstack. And by the way, the CMS looks spectacular. So thanks so much for putting that out there for people to go check out and hopefully contribute back. It seems like a nice advancement in these types of things. I can't help but think, is this, is all, this movement, Seems like a, a reactionary movement to past experiences, you know, like I'm never going to get uh, slashed on it again type of stuff um, or hacker news or what, Doug or I don't know what you get anymore. Um, mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is that influx, right? Because we're all afraid of the concurrent users thing hitting our, our dynamically rendered page and the database going on fire. We've all had that experience. Most of us with WordPress. <laughs> and it seems like you guys have referenced WordPress quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> Matt, you mentioned how Joomla has a bigger uh, user base than a lot of these little services we're talking about, which I think is amazing. And I just wonder how much of this is a reaction and perhaps in certain cases an overreaction to bad experiences with WordPress, whether the, the non-cached version or a caching plugin that's given you hell. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Because it seems like you mentioned PHP and WordPress quite a bit as the anti-pattern, <laughs> and this is the solution to that problem. Well, I think that's like, yeah, WordPress is easy because it's 27% of the internet, right? So it's, yeah. so mm -hmm. it's an easy reference and people know it. And it, it, and it's WordPress is just an example. There's a lot of monolithic apps out there, but it's just so people just sort of have you know, a frame of reference. But I think there's, there's a lot of answers to this because, yes, one of it is, you know, 
a few years ago, you couldn't build out a, a your own CDN. You, a CDN wasn't like, accessible, right, for anyone else, but but the ones that could go and and negotiate their own peering agreements with data centers all over the world, right? And and now it is. So that also means that the performance benefits you get from working in this way are, are, are becoming really high, right? So so you really get something out of it. And I think, but but I think there's so many things. There's also the emergence of mobile making performance even more. Uh, important than ever before. The malware issue is increasing, so that the, you know the pain points there are larger and larger every day. But I also just think that technology matures, right? First of all, JavaScript and, and browsers are mature to a point where it just makes a lot more sense the more you go on to use these external APIs. Even on most monolithic apps, you you know like Facebook comments, obviously hosted by Facebook, you use that API, so you talk to it from. The, the client, you don't run your own comment section uh, as part of your monolithic app anymore. So I think uh, someone told me the other day there's more than 90% of anyone running a monolithic app will still actually have most of the things that need real-time dynamic updating be connected to from the browser to API. So it's, so it's sort of happening anyway. And then you have the Git workflow, right? Like Git is a real thing. And that way of working, it's just, it's I think it's a natural progression of saying, okay, that's that's sort of, that's not something that's happening. That happened, right? That is sort of the way that that most people work with version control, collaborate around code, and accommodating that workflow uh, as much as you can will will just. That's also a natural development of that, right? Um, yeah. So, so I think that, that there's so many answers here, and and there's a lot of planetary alignment here, <laughs> of of uh, of mac microservices, of advanced markup, and 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 Git workflow of of all these things that are sort of coming together and, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, all of a sudden being able to actually quite easily push to a global network, right? So you don't yeah. have to have that single point of origin anymore. And all of that, all of those possibilities are, are what's pointing the, the arrow, so to speak, right now. Yeah, I mean, I think when we look at specific points, the security point, I think there's a conflation perhaps there because the advantage that you're getting by moving off of a WordPress or a Joomla to a smaller custom thing, whether it's a microservice or a slightly larger custom CMS, is because it's obscurity. It's because the, there, there's there's fuzzers out there hitting slash wp dash admin like crazy. In fact, Adam and I know this, we know this very well because we used to be on WordPress ourselves. Yeah. And one of the things Adam kept asking me is like, how do we lock down our ad? They're just trying to they're just trying to hit, they're hitting our admin at all times. And I said, well, the answer is you just get off of WordPress, and now you don't have that problem anymore. <laughs> Uh, but we have a, I mean, for our site, we have a Phoenix powered, so it's Elixir, uh, CMS that renders every single time it's dynamic. Yeah. Um, we routinely have sub 50 millisecond response times. We have a very small footprint. Um, there's the security. We have the obscurity now. We don't get hit. No one's coming after <laughs> yeah. us. And so, and that's a little bit of a conflation because I think you get that just by yeah. moving off of those things and not because of the Jamstack in particular. Um, the surface area, you say you have less surface area, I guess. I mean, there's still the same amount of functionality requires more or less the same amount of code. And so really you're just saying, well, this code lives over here now and that code lives over there as opposed to all in one place. So maybe you have more obscurity. Um, performance, anybody who has, you know, can use varnish, can keep, stay off of the, you know, getting slash dotted. So there's workarounds for that. Caching is a thing that works. So that's why I say perhaps there's an overreaction in certain cases, but I do really like, you know, the the idea of first of all the Git powered workflow is very nice. I really like the idea of having 
freedom of choice each time you go to build a new section of your website um, in the microservices term. But now you also have an orchestration problem. So there are trade-offs going on here, right? Of course, like any any architecture will always have have trade-offs, right? Like that's just inevitable, right? Like I, I'm obviously we're doing this because we think that the trade-offs are worth it. Are really really worth it for a very, very large amount of projects, right? And then there's some projects where they won't be worth it, and there's some projects where, where, where these constraints are not a good fit. But I, I think from my point of view, and, and also as someone that, that sort of, before we started building Netlify, I, I was, I was uh, building a, a fully hosted content management system called WebPub, which was a, a dynamic system, right? And And that started sort of at the time where I saw everything starting to change in, in front-end development. But I just think really I, I learned from from building in Spain tens of thousands of websites and with WebPub, a, a fully hosted platform for thousands of web projects that were not really in, in the vast, vast majority of those projects. There were really no reason that this couldn't just be done way more efficiently with this kind, kind of stack and save so many hurdles in terms of operations, uh, in terms of just automatically getting the performance, and also in terms of creating a cleaner architecture where the services that needs to run during a visit are very isolated and you're very aware of those and the rest is just pre-built. I think from my experience, this is a very healthy set of constraints. Also think that... Like what we see is that again and again, right? So you talk about security for sure. Mm-hmm. To, to address yeah. that, that definitely helps, right? I mean, if no one's targeting you, then there's not a malware issue. But, right. you know, malware has to, like it can't be something that infects a build phase, but the build phase has to sort of, has to go on, right? Someone can hack your site by themselves and try to guess your password and stuff like that. But 99.9999% is completely automated. And, and malware has to infect the build process. So if there's no build process, when, as soon as you remove that, of course, that, that means that, you, um, that you're taking away the surface area attack. Then you're reintroducing them via APIs. And that's the question of, are they smaller and more specified so they, they don't get the same attention and by that living obscurity? And then there's also the question of, you don't necessarily have to run all the APIs uh, depending on how the usage is of the site. Whereas in a traditional site, you you will have to run something no matter what in order just even to serve the, the HTML. Uh, around performance, what we see is that we you can have like these fantastically optimized sites, uh, but if 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 you look at the global traffic, then if it's you know the server in New York, then the, you know time to first byte and stuff like that is really low. But then if you go to Securia or testmysite.io or something like that, and 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 you test it from different points of like around the globe, then you'll often see okay, well any traffic coming to Tokyo or something like that. It's a lot longer. That's because sure. you know a, a CDN and and vanish cache and stuff like that can be great also for, for for caching some things, but not necessarily all of them. And very often the HTML and the time to first byte has that round trip to the to the origin server included. Uh, so even the ones that and some of them we know that uh, you know from talking to them that are spending like an obscene amount of money every month, like tens of thousands of dollars uh, on on their setup, and some way more than that. And they still have like you know much to be left aside when it, when it comes to initial load times, right. especially globally. So you know your points are super valid, but that you know there there's that to take into consideration. And the other things about Matt is just having something where you don't have to worry about it. In agencies, we're always doing this hosting provisioning, but we didn't actually know how much traffic there was going to be there. But 
you know, if you put it in some some cheap host and and it did go down, then you would right. sort of be, you'd be yeah, there would be hell to pay, right? So we, you left it on something bigger, and then even then, like three or four times a year, it it went wrong because you know there was a viral element and it really went off, right? And I feel that that having something where you can just automatically push it, no matter if it's a small landing page that just you know wants to send out uh, samples for detergents and and only is accessed by a QR code in a few local supermarkets, right? And basically gets a few hits a day or it's your own personal blog post, or if it's something that's getting like millions of hits every day, uh, knowing that you can have like sort of a default setup and just work with it because it's, you know, Jamstack based because it, it has multiple right. origins because it doesn't have that thing that, that has to render every time. That I feel is, is a pretty powerful thing. Absolutely. I think one of the places where this style of application has lacked is in tooling and available libraries and stuff, which that's why yes, we're sir. super happy that you guys and people like you are working on open source tooling and building out the ecosystem of microservices that people can start with. And so we actually have more viable ways of, of getting these dynamic yet static Jamstack sites uh, without having to give up all the dynamism, which makes the web so interesting. So for that, we're, we're thankful. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's uh, not the thankful part, <laughs> but, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but saying that you know the you know retaining all the stuff that's great about the web, right? Having all that personalization and all those those uh, those services, but at the same time doing it, you know, scaling in a in a in a viable manner. Right? That's the goal. Absolutely. The best place then to go to to get started. You do have some pretty good documentation. I say pretty. It not as a degradation, but a compliment. Uh, good documentation. Got a quick start at, at netlifycms.org, so we'll link those up in the show notes. We didn't quite cover getting started, but we'll leave that for the docs because they are just that good. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Cheers. All right, that wraps up this episode of The Changelog. Thanks to our sponsors, Linode, TopTal, and also GoCD for sponsoring the show. Also, thanks to Fastly, our CDM partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. Our music is produced by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder, and our episodes are edited by Jonathan Youngblood. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.